What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This has been the most tense podcast I have ever done. Kevin Sherrington. You were working on typewriters this time. Barry Horn. I don't even know who you are anymore. Where were you last week? Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we'll be talking about colleges. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the college Ballsy with a Z podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News podcast, Ballsy. I am Kevin Sherrington. Who are you? I'm Barry Horn. And, and joining us on the phone now is the voice of college football, Tim Brando. That's big. That's, That's big, isn't it? The voice actually, of college football. The voice of that, co- that might have that, that might have been borderline ballsy of you. <laughs> um, Not in our hearts in I, here. <laughs> well, that's nice of you to say. I appreciate it. There are a lot of guys that could fall into that category, but but I appreciate your putting me among that group. Many thanks. Absolutely. <laughs> so now, Tim, we we were just talking a little bit earlier and uh, about the uh, about the season and, and what the and I and I'm going to say right off the bat, I believe it's because of the CFP of what we're seeing in the scheduling in in conference uh, it, in what we used to see the Baylor schedule, the Baylor schedule, which was Liberty and hey, and Liberty St. was good five, five years ago when that game was scheduled. That's yeah. what you hear all the time. Well, they're really good now, according to Baylor. Yeah. Uh, Everybody's good according to Baylor. Yeah, but now we're not seeing that. We're seeing some really good and really fun games. And so, what has that meant to you to to do, to see all that and to and to broadcast it as well? Well, first and foremost. Uh, the timing was just perfect for Fox to to get the Big Ten contract, and and now because it picks first, um, and and has the primary games, then that as the dominoes fall out and you get um, you know the the co- cooperation that goes down with programming, you know our our business has strange bedfellows a lot of times when it comes to rights holding and and uh, ESPN and Fox have to work together from a programming standpoint. But in both the Big 12 and in the Pac-12, ESPN picks first and, and, and Fox goes second. That's not true in the Big 10. In fact, it's just the reverse. And a lot of that hasn't been felt yet because some of these really must-see Big 10 matchups haven't happened yet. Uh, I think the effects of it will, you'll begin to see some of that this week with the games that we have, uh, Games like Michigan State, Notre Dame, which fans and viewers, I think, habitually have always thought that's a game that falls to the ABC, ESPN. It doesn't this year. It comes to Fox. So the pecking order, when the dominoes fall, gives all of us, everybody involved with our network, uh, a better game. Well, Fox, and, had, um, Fox had a really good game the other night, I think, um, the Texas-USC game. Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. And. Listen, uh, the, the, we only had three games last week, uh, Barry, by example, and Kevin. We, we only had three games last week. I think that's the last time that happens. We'll be upwards of five or more games, either on FS1 or uh, Fox or even FS2. We'll be upwards of five, sometimes six games a week. And this week, 
uh, I'm doing Colorado and Washington with, with Spencer and Holly, and that's a game that is the rematch of last year's Pac-12 title game. And in past years, that would have been the game that Gus and Joel would have done because we wouldn't have had the Big Ten. Right. You know, that contract was not with us. So everybody's games, you know, are better now than they were before. And what it also means to the viewer is you've got more options. You, you can now find multiple games uh, simultaneously. I do think, and I made mention of this a couple of weeks ago, when all those incredible games were taking place, including the Clemson-Auburn game, uh, and Barry, you can, this may be more up your alley than mine, I think we've reached a point now because there is cooperation in terms of picking and choosing games, uh, a lot of cooperation. Between, between the programmers of Fox and ESPN with the glut of games that are available. Uh, and now, particularly because some of the schools in the Big Ten don't want to play on Friday night. Uh, Purdue might, Indiana might, but a lot of the, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, even Northwestern has said they don't want to play on Friday night. So when you've got that kind of issue and you've got so much inventory, and there's plenty of it out there, I, I think we've gotten to a point now where because these great games are all there at the beginning of the season, as you mentioned, because of the playoff, everyone's trying to impress the committee. I think it's time the college game goes out and gets its own version of Howard Katz. And, and for those that don't know what I'm talking about, Howard Katz, a little bit like Denny Lewin, who preceded him with the NFL, uh, worked in concert with all of the networks that were rights holders to make sure that the valued games were spread uh, as equally as possible to everyone, and that the viewer would not miss out on some games. We've got, I think, certain weeks in college football now where you've got maybe four games going on simultaneously in prime time that you've got just way too many decisions to make. Right. Unless, you switch, unless you're in a studio with, like, five monitors, you're being cheated, you know, and, and, and because you can't, you can't see everything. Uh, I, I think college football would be... Uh, in a much better position, would get much more for their money, so to speak, if we had someone that was a TV guru uh, with some past history as a programmer at any one of the networks come in and work as a consultant with all of the rights holders in college football to make sure that uh, we've got great games across the board. I think sometimes we have soft weekends where there's not a lot out there, and then we have too much all at the same time in other weeks. If we spread it around a little bit, uh, I think it would be good for business. Now, what holds college football back is these uh, traditions and histories of uh, that we got to play Tennessee, Alabama on the third Saturday of October. We got to play, uh, you know, the Texas OU game at noon, and it, it's always going to be this particular game. It would take cooperation from the rights holders. But, Barry, I think it would be in the best interest of the sport. We already are flourishing. We're the second most popular, second most watched sport in America today, only to the NFL. But I still think the bang for the buck could be greater than it already is. Well, the, I, I want to ask a question uh, about go ahead. that. Go it ahead. is because, and, and you guys know this, and I don't know, uh, but it, I read recently that the college ratings were going up and NFL ratings were going down. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And, and, but, and, but we're – and, and here's my point about that, and, and is what I well, can, maybe that's considered more. There are better games now. Well, that's that, 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 absolutely, and then, then this is all part of the the point of that. To me, the college football season is starting to take more of a shape, like the NCAA tournament does, 
which is you've got so many uh, options in the in the college basketball tournament. You know, one game's a dud. We just go to another game. Here, here's a better game, and you can watch this, and it's all fun. And I think you see that, and you're seeing that in college football now. If one game is a dud, there's another one that's just as good. But no one's going to care about uh, you know the Jacksonville Jaguars and the San Francisco 49ers. You know, no, and there are just fewer games to pick from in the NFL. Didn't you just were you listening when Tim was talking? Tim what? was saying they're trying. Always listening. They're trying to. Uh, avoid having too many games. No, uh, I know that. I know that. What, but what I'm saying is I'm just trying to explain why the ratings would be going up now. Why? And, and I think part of it is, yes, that they're playing better They're playing better teams. But if you look at that game Saturday, the, US, the, the Texas-USC game, the Coliseum is filled, right, to the brim. And then the next day, there's nobody there. For the, yeah. NFL, for, the, for the NFL, for the NFL, for the Rams game, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I, of course that's well, I, I, that's a story in LA. But. Well, that that that's two visiting teams playing there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Rams are a visiting team in LA, <laughs> essentially. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I just think, listen. Bottom line, I'm I'm looking out for the property for the product itself, and I'd like for it to always get better. That's how much I love college football, and and I think it's wonderful that we've got. For instance, the Northern Illinois-Nebraska game is on in the early window, and I've got a 14-point underdog, Northern Illinois, up by 14 midway through the second quarter. Well, you know, that that's, people were saying, well, wait a minute, Northern Illinois again? Uh, they may not know anything about them, but Nebraska is supposed to be rebooting and, a, and be a contender in the Big Ten West. They've got Wisconsin and Ohio State and Iowa all coming to them. And they played a great second half against Oregon and Eugene, and now they're losing to Northern Illinois. You've got that. Um, the factor now in college football is this. The brand names can be beaten by those that are directional schools or group of five conferences because of the scholarship limitations. And when teams come in with a chip on their shoulder, like, for instance, I told you guys, Maryland Wood against Texas. Yes, yes you did. I tell you way back yes, when. Yes, you did. Uh, that Maryland Wood against Texas, and they beat them outright. Um, uh, Purdue's a similar story now, a downtrodden big team. team. They're going to get their shot against Michigan this week. That's a Fox game. I think my friends Joe uh, Davis and um, and Brady Quinn are going to have that. And I'm telling you, get on upset alert for Michigan because they can't score in the red zone, and Purdue can score from anywhere. So that's where college football is today. And I think a lot of times those of us that follow it closely, we kind of know where these stories are, and I think – Maybe the fans at large don't, and so they wake up every Saturday. Somebody calls them and says, "My God, are you watching this game on FS1?" It's you know, Northern Illinois is kicking Nebraska's tush, and they start turning over to find it yes. because it's the early window game. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's something that uh, college football also doesn't have some of the social issue problems that, that the NFL has, at least you know for the time being. <laughs> it may Publicly. change. It could change uh, easily. But um, what I'm saying to you is, uh, and especially to you, Barry, because you follow it, is we've gotten to a point now where the growth of our game, the college football uh, game, is, is so great that we need, I, th- I think, someone to, to work with That's the, a great the point. people, the decision makers that are deciding to put what games on when, because some weeks it's not anybody's fault. Some weeks we've got just way too many all, uh, great games all going at the same time. That that night when when Auburn was playing Clemson and I, I mean it was just you know but, Ohio State was I mean it was 
one game after the other game after the other game, and I found myself, I had done a Friday game that week at Purdue, so I was at home, and I was playing the role of consumer, and I'm like, my God, I, 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 I can't work my remote control fast enough to keep up with these games. But, but, you have, <laughs> but, but, but Tim, you have a finite number of games in the NFL. You know, there's 16 yeah. games. College football, right. it, 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 the possibilities are infinite. But they've always they been infinite, and that's and that's what's yeah. interesting. But to they're me. better, There's and I think the choices are better now. It's just what you said. This is exactly what people like Frank Broyles were afraid of in not scheduling. You know, Frank would never schedule any team from the state of Arkansas because he did because it's a no win situation for him. If I schedule this team and I beat them, everybody says, "Oh, so what? They're no good." And then if I schedule them and, and if they beat me, oh my gosh! Now I've recognized them and now they become good. And so yeah. and this is what's happening in college football. These, exactly what you said, you know, UNT here, North Texas took Iowa into the third quarter, and that was a really close game. They're playing them really well Ooh. on the road. You know, those are those are the kind of things that are scaring everybody, that these are the possibilities. Tim, let me ask you this. Is the celebration of Texas, uh, the, the rebirth, the reemergence of Texas, based on one game, is that valid? No, okay. not. I think it's very premature. I think um, they played a great game, don't get me wrong. Sam Darnold... Uh, is not as productive this year as he was this time a year ago. Uh, now, granted, he had 40 seconds and no timeouts left and was still great enough to take them the length of the field, uh, get the score, and, and, and take it to overtime. So, you know, he's clearly a Heisman uh, candidate, and, but, but his numbers need to improve. He's not playing as well as he did last year uh, during that stretch where they won nine straight games and went on to the Rose Bowl and came from behind to beat Penn State. But... I want to give Texas credit for this in the sense that they played at a much higher level. That defense particularly played at a level that we all thought they should have with all the four- and five-star recruits that they've had that have either been hurt or underachieved. But, but these are college kids. I want to remind everybody, all right, when they, they overlooked Maryland, I thought they would look overlook Maryland, and guess what? They paid a price for it, as I expected they would. There was no way with, you know, Matthew McConaughey on one sideline and, and uh, name your USC uh, uh, celebrity on the other sideline. There were a ton of them, including Matt Leiner, who was going to be honored because he's going to the College Football Hall of Fame. That uh, They played to the moment in the Coliseum. I think the players also, because they're, they're young enough to remember that great game with Vince Young and company, he, you know, he was also on the sidelines. I think they play to a much higher level. Now, whether that transcends into consistent play moving forward, I'm not going to buy into that necessarily. I'm not. Because they, they, they certainly didn't take Maryland seriously enough, and Maryland had a bowl season last year. Uh, and they even knocked their starting quarterback out. And, oh, by the way, the kid from Queens that came in afterward, who, who was a pretty good recruit, by the way, still ripped them apart in the second half. Yeah, um, I know. I know it's conventional wisdom to say that Tom Herman he gave a tongue lashing. He played the uh, you know the, the the sprinkle the fairy dust line, which brought out uh, the criticism from his old uh, yeah. coach uh, Urban Meyer, and that somehow this this was magic that that he inspired them, and now they are locked and loaded and ready to go. Are they good enough to beat either Oklahoma State or Oklahoma? Sure, they are. But I don't know that this particular game, this performance, uh, is something that we should be glorifying and saying that, oh, 
this mean suddenly that they are now going to make a strong run uh, in the Big 12? I think that's very premature and very typical of Texas. Well, the, very they, typical. Well, didn't, we did, said the same thing after the Notre Dame exactly, game. Exactly, last right. year. Right. Exactly. True. We said the same thing after the Notre Dame game last year. Texas is back. Oh, really? No, they're not. <laughs> well, the, the, it's t- one game. It's one game early in the season in college football. It was a memorable game, but I don't know that this necessarily carries over to this week or the weeks that follow. The two things I'm taking from the two signature games in the Big 12 so far, the Texas-USC game and the Oklahoma-Ohio State game, and the two things I took from those games were both defense. That Oklahoma's defense looked really good against Ohio State. I can't remember the last time they looked that good. And that Texas defense looked so good against USC. I'm not going to make any more judgments past it than that, but I think I certainly think we saw Puna Ford play really well in the defensive line, and I think this is one of the guys that they were is a little bit of a surprise. Well, uh, and that Malik Jefferson is playing great. Well, well, Jefferson was supposed to be great. For he was, though, and he hasn't been. Right now, now I think he can be, and, and but let's not also forget that's the Texas perspective, Kevin. But I'll also give you USC. They were without two of their best offensive linemen. Okay, yeah. and Texas took advantage of that. So fans have a tendency to look at it from their sure. uh, their vision and and their prism only, and that's fine. And I'm not trying to throw cold water or dirt on the performance. I thought it was better. Listen, I thought USC would cover. I did. Uh, and so they, yeah, Texas proved me wrong. But what I'm saying to you is, in the college game, to automatically think that uh, after this particular game this week, that we figured out that Texas is on their way back. No, no, no. no. We're not. <laughs> it doesn't work that way in, the game, in, in college football today. We, if, if you think you've got a lock on the way they're going to perform from week three, uh, forget about it because you just don't know. It's about matchup after match. That's why in my college football poll, you'll see more my top ten. You'll see more fluctuation than ever. You know, I I moved uh, Clemson over Alabama this week because of the way they performed yeah. and have continued to perform. And I dropped USC uh, even even after beating Texas. I dropped them a spot. So I, I think that um, you have to look at each week. Just like the committee is telling us, you know what, it, it is a beauty pageant, and what you've done most recently is, is going to impact us more than anything else. What about the Oklahoma schools, Tim? Um, we had Barry Switzer on our podcast a couple of weeks ago. He assured us that Oklahoma would beat Oklahoma State not once this season, but twice this season. I, I, I completely disagree with that. Okay. And I love Barry. I completely disagree with that. So, so is it going to be a split? I think he said they'd kick their ass. That's what he uh, said. The, the <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah, uh, and he said like like, like we, usually, like, like we, we always, always do. do. That's yeah. what he said. Yeah, <laughs> like we always do. Yeah. yeah. So going into the uh, season, I thought that maybe Oklahoma State was the better team of the two. I'm not so sure now. So, so do you think that those two teams split? Uh, this first of all, I guess I should ask the question: Will they have the opportunity to split? I think they will. Uh, now Texas can play a role in that. Okay, I, I think I said earlier in the year that when you guys had me on that I thought Texas could determine the winner, play a role in who, uh, and, and be a spoiler, if you will, because they're capable of winning either one of those games, in my opinion. But they're just not consistent enough. Uh, Oklahoma State, on paper, is the better team in total. Uh, Mason Rudolph just has not had the stage that that Baker Mayfield has had. Now, you know, going and blowing Pitt's doors off 
in Pittsburgh was impressive, but it's still Pitt, and Pitt isn't what they were a year ago. So we know that, and college football pundits know that. I moved Oklahoma because they beat Ohio State at the shoe. I moved them ahead of Oklahoma State in my poll. Now, in my preseason poll, I had the Cowboys in the four position, therefore getting in the college football playoff. And they still control their own destiny. We're going to find out a lot about Oklahoma State in this TCU game coming up uh, because TCU appears to be uh, back. And Gary Patterson's club just very, very rarely follows up one bad season with another. They usually bounce back. And it looks like Sonny Cumbie has, with Meacham having left, it looks to me like Cumbie's kind of figured some things out. I think both TCU, Texas, and West Virginia, all three of those teams. Listen, this has been a really good start for the Big 12 across the board. Even with West Virginia's loss to Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech's really good. And West Virginia was in that game. And Greer is a really good quarterback. I think that all of those teams are credible teams. And it's not going to be easy for either Oklahoma or Oklahoma State to get to Bedlam without at least one of them having a loss. Uh, But let's say they do. Let's, for argument's sake, say they do. And they play that game in early November. And and uh, and neither one of them lose another game. If there's a rematch of Bedlam in the Big 12 title game, it adds, in my opinion, huge credibility for the college football playoff committee. Number one, because it's a championship environment at Jerry World. Number two, because these two teams would have played a, a month earlier in what, in my opinion, would be probably an epic game in Stillwater. And, and now you've got storylines coming off that. And you've got that 13th quotient, which the, has, the Big 12 has been missing. But, but does... uh, on, on, this, on the last day of December, when the SEC, the Big Ten, uh, and the ACC are all playing title games. So I think that helps with either team, uh, but... provided they did split, okay, and they both had a loss. I, this, this notion from a lot of Big 12 people, and especially the old guard like Barry, that having the title game would get in the way of the Big 12 as opposed to propel it, I think they're seeing it through yesteryear's memories okay i think now with the committee in charge and with the 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 the, the, the uh, metrics that they're using to determine which teams get in i think having the rematch even if it turns out to be a split is in the best interest of the college of, of the big 12 getting a team in but if, you, but if, but if you're the big 12 don't you have to be rooting hard for the for for a sweep for either an oklahoma or oklahoma state sweep doesn't well, well, then it would be an automatic ideally, then. Yeah. Ideally. Yeah. Ideally. But, but, but that said, uh, Barry, the thing to remember is that this is a league that right now you'd have to say the narrative is positive. It, it's, I, I would say right now, uh, based on the first, uh, okay, just short of a month's worth of college football being played, the, the, the news for the ACC and the Big Ten and the Big 12 is pretty positive. Yeah. Okay. The SEC, not so much. Right. The Pac-12 actually is also trending good. So right now, you'd have to say four of the five look like they're really competitive leagues at this stage. But I'm going to tell you, if USC uh, is the torch bearer for the Pac-12, they're not playing up to their level of a year ago. Right now, they look to me uh, like they're a team that could be had. I think Texas sort of exposed them in that regard last week. I thought less of USC, not necessarily that much more of Texas, based on that game the other night. All right? but, uh, and I think Washington, the problem they have is their schedule again. Uh, the Washington schedule is garbage. 
and it was a year ago, they still snuck in. So if the Big 12 can just play at the level that we assume that they could play at, and, I, and I, I'm guessing Bob Bowles, the commissioner, is saying, yeah, we with Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, keep doing it, you know, and, and both Baker Mayfield and Mason Rudolph are going into that game in November as Heisman frontrunners, and I think they would be, provided they stay healthy and continue posting these incredible numbers, then that will bode well for either one of those teams, even if they split to get in one of them get in the uh, college football playoff. Will, will either one of those teams score 100 points on Kansas? <laughs> oh, God. I think maybe they could, but I hope they don't. Uh, I mean, they could, yeah. I mean, Oklahoma State's just a machine right now, offensively. They've got, they've got four receivers that are available to them that a lot of other top ten teams would just to have like to have one of. I mean, they've got they are just loaded with talent at the receiver position. And boy, does that say a lot about Mike Um He's getting guys and developing talent. And some some of these guys come from junior college even, and they burst onto the scene and just and are right on par with these four and five star players. That uh, that Texas and OU keeps uh, loading up year after year. You know, you you, uh, it's you very impressive. You bring it's very that impressive. you bring that up about uh, that, and that's a, a a great point for this week especially because you got TCU playing Oklahoma State. Those are two yep. coaches that have done unbelievable jobs. They are. You could make the case uh, mm. going back to, to Dutch Meyer, and now Dutch Meyer is the all time greatest coach ever at TCU. Really, and, better than Gary Patterson. Well, you, you, when you go into a national championship, then that's a, that's kind of make, makes a, a difference. different world. Though. Different world. Well, it was a different world, but they were great teams. They had a Heisman Trophy yeah. winners. I mean, that was that's what got the the Southwest Conference notice was TCU and SMU. But anyway, yeah. Um, and then you have what Mike Gundy has done at Oklahoma State, and I would make the case that, that Mike Gundy is probably the greatest coach, or if he's not, he's in the, certainly in the conversation. Don't tell Jimmy Johnson that. In Oklahoma, Jimmy did okay. <laughs> Jimmy did okay at Oklahoma State. He hasn't done what what he's you know as we said before, Jimmy gets bored very quickly. Uh, but it's also two guys, people who keep asking. You know, Gary's in his seventeenth season at TCU. Yeah, uh, right. Also, two guys. Why haven't these guys gone to another job? Why have they not been hired someplace else? Why do you think that is, Tim? I, well, I would I would tell you right now, what's the problem with the SEC? They don't have a good, a good enough coaches in that league. I mean, if you right now in the SEC footprint, if you're not Mason at Vanderbilt, uh, Mark Stoops at Kentucky. Or Nick Saban at Alabama. I mean, the fan bases at all the other schools want their guys gone now. Yeah, <laughs> we're not they getting into out. the LSU. We're not getting into an LSU no, debate. No, yeah. no. But what I'm saying to you is, what I'm saying to you is, the hires that have been made in the SEC have been what derivatives of Nick Saban. Yeah. Across the board. Yeah. It happened at Tennessee. It's happening now at Florida. It's, uh, I mean. George, I mean, Kirby Smart goes into Notre Dame, beats a 4-18 and 18 by one point, and they, they're calling it a signature win at Georgia. Yeah. Really? Yeah. A signature win beating a, a Notre Dame team that went 4-8 and eight a year ago, and they beat them by one point. Look, I, I know beating a team at Touchdown Jesus and having your fans, uh, you know, take over Notre Dame Stadium makes you feel good. It's a bucket list item for fans. But I'm not that impressed with Georgia. What what the SEC hasn't done is they have not gone out and gotten an intellectual property in coaching uh, <laughs> that hasn't been part of Nick Saban's coaching tree. Yeah, I mean, they, 
firing good coaches like Mark Richt and Les Miles and replacing them with retreads under Nick Saban. And, and, and what does he do? He kicks every one of their asses yeah. over and over and over again. So uh, why, not, why they didn't go and get Gary Patterson years ago into the SEC, I have no idea. Why Mike Gundy wasn't someone, I guarantee you, he wasn't even, his agent didn't even get a call in the SEC when those jobs opened up at Tennessee and Georgia and LSU. Name them all. See, he uh, seems uh, like an, he seems like such a uh, for LSU. He's made for that job. Mike oh, Gundy he would is. have been perfect for yeah. that job, no question. Yeah. But there are several others that fall. In. What I'm saying to you is, if you don't go and grab intellectual property from outside your your footprint from time to time, then 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 shame on you. You're making mistakes. I mean, it, look, Jerry Kill had to leave Minnesota largely because of his health. health. Yeah. All right. He won nine games last year, and they got a bowl win, so he got it. So they they lose him, and they go get P.J. Fleck. Now, you may think that P.J. Fleck is bells and whistles and more style than substance, but years ago we were saying the same thing maybe about Pepper Rogers. I love P.J. Fleck. I, I think bringing in a guy with that kind of energy and enthusiasm at a place like Minnesota, where you very rarely get any attention if you're good, is perfect for, for that league. There hasn't been a hire like that in the SEC in maybe 20 years. Do you, you haven't seen, really, a, a, a hiring like that in, in two decades. And it's finally caught up with them. They're, all of the hires in that league have been incestuous. Well, let's hire this guy from this school and put him at that school. We've seen multiple coaches go from school to school within the same framework of the conference. And, and in the Big 12 right now, uh, what Gundy's done over a length of time since Les Miles left at Oklahoma State, okay, and what Gary has done, uh, and listen, he's gone through losing seasons and had to, uh, you know, reinvent himself. And he did. He he had no problem bringing in two spread guys, Meacham and Cumbie, to turn things around when he noticed that. Oh my God, I'm not in the Mountain West anymore. I'm in the Big Twelve. I may be a defensive guy, but I I may have to score fifty to win. So what does he do? He, he yeah. brings in the guys that can score enough points to get it done. That, that's the difference in being um, a, a really solid uh, program. And, I, and I, I give the ADs there. I mean, Del Conte's done a remarkable job at TCU. These guys know that for the Big 12 to be successful, OU and Texas need to be good, and Oklahoma State probably that next team that needs to be good. But that doesn't mean they're not trying to c- compete. They are. And uh, with TCU – West Virginia, uh, K-State's kind of a different story. And, by the way, that wasn't a bad loss to Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt does have a great defense. I know it stings for them. But K-State will get a win or two that people don't Oh, absolutely. They will. They will. So do do you think when – let's assume – let's go out on a ledge and say maybe the Texas entry in the SEC, Texas A&M may possibly be looking for a coach down the road. Oh, yeah. Add add, add – Add someone to that list that includes Bielema, Jones. <laughs> yeah. By the way, the honeymoon for Orgeron is over. Yeah. That, that, that was short. Early. Yeah, that was short, right? So, uh, so who, who, who wants their guys gone? Who would Everybody you... in the SEC wants their guys gone unless you're Vanderbilt, Kentucky, or Saban. Right who, now, those who... three, everybody else could be fired. When the <laughs> folks in College Station call you up and say, Tim Brando, who should we hire uh, to replace Kevin Sumlin out there? We could have anybody we want. We'll wave enough money in front of them. 
uh, to come into play in front of 100,000 people at home, who would you advise them to go get? You might have a hard time getting this guy right now because he just got his job where he is. But the best young coach, probably the most impactful Division I uh, Power 5 coach in America right now is a guy I saw the first two weeks of the season, and he just went on the road as a, I believe, seven-point underdog and just hammered uh, Missouri. That's Jeff Brom at Purdue. Great young coach. And um, what he's done with a program that's got, you know, the kind of talent that was 9-39 and 39 under Daryl Hazel over the last four years, it's just amazing. I, I think that they, they are going to not only continue to surprise, but upset somebody really good at home. And that really good team might be right in front of us, the Michigan game coming up this week. But uh, I think everybody's waiting for, for Petrino to go out at Louisville and that that would be where Brom would land and whenever Bobby walks away. And I still think that's some time away. I don't see Bobby leaving Louisville anytime soon. But that's where Jeff played. It's where his family's from. His dad's a high school coach at Trinity there, right. a legendary name. But if, if, if ADs are smart and they're really looking at guys that make a difference in coaching, uh, he just got his job. So I don't think he would pull a, a Todd Graham and leave after one year like Todd did Pitt. But, but that's the best young coach in a new position this year I've come across. So you, so you, would, you would tell the brain trust in College Station? That, that's That'd the be guy. two Purdue guys in a row. Not that he went well, to Purdue. Well, he went to Purdue. Yeah. And, yeah. Only fans think of that. The first thing that, that, that I would tell College Station is to stop acting like some of the Texas fans did when Charlie was there and let Kevin coach because he didn't just suddenly fall off a turnip truck because his offensive uh, coaches were calling pass plays when they should have been running the football in the second half against UCLA. But he's the coach. Uh, yeah, I know that. I know that. But what I'm saying to you is I don't think Kevin Sumlin at this stage, uh, be, be a little bit patient, will you? I mean, let's go check the numbers on Frank Beamer, his first four or five years at Virginia Tech, before his 25-year career landed him in the Hall of Fame of college football. Okay? You're going to go through this some sometimes. And just because you've got facilities and just because you're in the SEC doesn't automatically mean that, you deserve to have your guy and your guy right now. Maybe you got to earn. Maybe you got to take some some smaller steps before you can be, you know, knocking down Nick Saban's statue in Alabama. You got an early uh, pop from a, a, a very unique player that transformed uh, the, the the school and the, the the program in its early years in oh, the yes. SEC. Yes, it did. And and a lightning in a bottle. Now, you, you, that was a once-in-a-generation quarterback, once-in-a-generation moment. Uh, just settle down. You know, Texas A&M can still beat some people. Uh, everybody in the West, everybody in the West looks beatable to me except Alabama. Yeah. I mean, oh, by the way, uh, how about that Auburn juggernaut that we thought was going to be good yeah. uh, offensively? Uh, listen, uh, Gus Malzahn could be gone uh you know, we could have another situation where the LSU game for Malzahn will be for his job, just like it was last year. Yeah. And, of course, he, he, got, he only got to keep his job because uh, Les Miles ran out, of, ran out of time in a drive, and the clock operator said, yeah, that play doesn't count. Right. Otherwise, it would have been Gus out of work, and Les wouldn't have been with me in the booth last year. <laughs> I would say this about, <laughs> about Kevin Sumlin. I agree with all your points about uh, Sumlin. Uh, obviously, uh, he's a he's – a, 
a hard guy to read, and it's uh, and certainly from my standpoint, the media standpoint, not one of my favorites. But that, right. that doesn't matter for anything. Uh, but the, the one thing about Kevin is that he's been unable to identify a quarterback. Uh, yeah, and, that's true. And I, and I think that's, to me, if I'm looking, and it's funny because I don't know how much Cliff Kingsbury had to do with Johnny Manziel getting that job. I don't know if he had to talk Kevin into that or not. But I remember after that Florida game, Johnny's uh, debut, that, that Cliff came into the press conference uh, and said, we found our quarterback. And I remember thinking yeah. he played very well, but I didn't really – we were all obsessing over the fact that the Aggies had blown another game in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Uh, and and then, and then Cliff goes to Texas Tech, and for everything else that's gone wrong out there, and I don't think that Cliff is a head coach, but for everything else that's gone wrong out there, boy, this guy's identifying quarterbacks. He brought in yeah. Dave, Davis Webb. He brought in Patrick McHolmes. He brought in Baker Mayfield. He brought in uh, Mike Brewer. All those guys went on to play quarterback someplace else, and he ended up with the best quarterback of the bunch in Mahomes. Mahomes yeah. And 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 well, to, you can make a you can make a you can make a great case uh, that 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 Cliff wasn't ready to be a quote unquote prime time CEO of a program in a, in in the conference like the Big Twelve. But boy, oh boy, was he in a perfect position to help Texas A and M as a coordinator. Absolutely. Yeah. But what happens happens. And you got to move from that. Uh, the decisions that have been made and the changes that have been made uh, with coordinators and staff problems, I have no defense for those mistakes made by Kevin. I, and I know the fans uh, and maybe even the, the strong donors uh, have a hard time forgiving him for that. But, but what I'm saying to you is uh, coming out with the guillotine early uh, in, a, uh, in a conference season that looks to be, in my opinion, wide open, I don't think the quality of play at any of the schools right now in the so-called vaunted NCC West is what it has been. I think it's drifted. Uh, it's getting closer to the SEC East than it is to the domination that it, that it once had. Uh, you know, the Pac-12 South is better. Uh, the Big Ten East is better than the SEC West. So I would say to people in College Station, chill a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Take a step back. Yeah. Watch how they watch how things play out. Listen, Arkansas hasn't been able to beat A and M. This is a game coming up that, you know, A and M's had their number. If they win that game, then that may flip the script a little bit, and let's see where it goes from there. Uh, you know, they're they're ready to jump off the Mississippi River Bridge in, uh, in the Bayou right now. I mean, they are after what happened in Stark Vegas. So right now, I, I should have mentioned also Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen is the other guy that's safe. There are like four of them now. Stoops. <laughs> Dan Mullen's done a great job. Some are arguing he's the second-best coach in the SEC right now, and they may be right. So uh, it could be that who's to say the Mississippi State is not the second-best team in the SEC right yeah, now? Yeah, that's right. I mean, who's to say that? So if that, if that is true, then Texas A&M, in my mind, has a shot. So let's see what happens. Uh uh, because, trust me, at places like Tennessee and LSU and Auburn, they're going to go ahead and just uh, clean house as quickly as you can say, buy you. I mean, they are going to clean house Bye. quickly. So if you're A&M, just stay the course and let's see what Kevin does. Because when he's been backed up uh, in his past, he's done pretty well. Uh, but to your point, Kevin, it's a really good one. He does need to get a guy in there, a guru that understands quarterbacks. Listen, that's the reason Lincoln Riley uh, and, and Bob Stoops went out 
on, on, on top in the Big 12. And he went out on top in the Big 12 because just as he came in, he understood to get the guy that gave him the, the offense that gave him the most trouble. He went and grabbed Leach away from Hal Mummy in Kentucky. And then as he was leaving and the program was slipping a little bit, Kevin Wilson had left, he does what? He goes and gets Lincoln Riley, another Leach guy that was handpicked really not just by Bob but by Castiglione and by Bourne to be the heir apparent. Right. And that's why they're in the position they're in. I, I think Kevin needs to find that guy, whoever he is, to run his offense to, to make a difference because you can pay him the moon. I mean, you can pay your assistants whatever you want to pay them. Uh, it's, it's, that's the other thing that's confounding down you know, in Baton Rouge. They think in, in Matt Canada – and Dave Aranda, they got the best two coordinators in the country. They may well have, but they're not playing with much discipline right now and got just embarrassed the other night. So we'll see. But you asked me the question, who's the best young coach that I think is going to make waves? And by this time next year, you'll be saying, oh, my God, how long is he going to stay at Purdue? Okay, It's Jeff Brown. That's your guy. Thanks for that insider tip. We're going to hold you to that. We held you to the Maryland thing, and we talked about that, that you had told us that you thought they were going to give us them really tr- real trouble, Texas, and you were right. So we're, we're, yeah. we're, you're, so far you're one for one on your predictions. <laughs> well, I try. I do the best I can. I, listen, I, I, I'm one of those that uh, believes that it's not just about uh, the brand name it's about you know the people inside those shoulder pads and what what they really have and how they're building themselves up and you know DJ Durkin's done look at look at the Big Ten you've got DJ Durkin at Maryland you've got uh, PJ Fleck at Minnesota Brom at Purdue I mean the league four years ago uh, Ohio State was gonna go undefeated and the league was trash nobody nobody thought the Big Ten was any good and then look what happened. After they have a third-string quarterback win them the national championship in a season when they barely got in, now you're looking at a league that has hired, what, one of the best young coaches out of the SEC. They got Franklin. Uh, and that team, by the way, is playing better than anybody in the Big Ten right now. Uh, and, and, and Harbaugh goes to Michigan. And all these other programs, some of them maybe not as big brands like Michigan, excuse me, so you look at Maryland and you look at Purdue, uh, and you say, my God, who's coaching there? Well, you're going to find out more because these young guys are good coaches. And identifying the best coaches is the way to turn around the league. Uh, and thankfully, for the Big 12's sake, uh, neither Oklahoma State or TCU have lost their guys. And that's one of the reasons why about every three or four years you see those two teams you know, giving Oklahoma and Oklahoma State t- uh, some concern. I'll tell you this. Gary Patterson is a lifer in Fort Worth. Yeah, I think you can yeah. write that down. He's not yeah. going anywhere. No. But Tim, yeah. thanks, yeah. Th- thanks so much for edu- not not being a guest, but for educating us. Absolutely. Because Kevin, oh. Ke- Ke- Kevin takes notes. <laughs> he sits here taking. He, I'm, I'm, I'm writing all this down. He writes this all down, and then then he'll, in about a week from now he'll write a column. Sure. And he'll come up with some <laughs> some idea. Absolutely. And and he'll, and he'll forget that this podcast happened, and he'll say, "Oh, how never, about Jeff Brom? Never, and, never." Yeah. Barry has one quick question. He wants to ask you, uh, Tim, uh, before you go. Tim, I just want to right. know that the Brandos of Louisiana. Are they any relation to the Brandos of Nebraska, Marlon Brando? No. 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 I've uh, been asked that, obviously. A million uh, times. The, uh, yeah. Now, the name is Portuguese. Uh, we, we, we don't have any descendants uh, in 
um, the Azor Islands that own any piece of the property, like like Marlin did Tahiti. Uh, but <laughs> but it is a, it is a Portuguese name, and uh, but but no, I, I've uh, I'm not related to Christian, the late Christian, My any of those. Son, yeah. No, no, I it's. Uh, but if you went to uh, the Azor Islands that I did as a child, my dad had a band, and we went down there and, and played at a SAC Air Base. Wow. And, uh, and you'll find a gazillion Brandos in the telephone down there. I'm going, I'm going next. As soon as the season's over, I'm going down. I'm going to check it out. <laughs> yeah, sure. Tim, it's, it's, it's been tremendous as usual. Promise to come back and uh, spend some time with us, and uh, we'll catch you down the road. You got it, and tell Evan Grant that the, that the show went swimmingly without. Well, let me tell you something. You always got I, I was thinking when you were talking about Georgia and and not not being very kind about about the Georgia yeah. that Evan, yeah. I, I was glad Evan wasn't here. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Absolutely. So he would have been saying, "Do you realize how long it's been since our fans have gone on the road and gotten a win like that?" The team was four and eight for crying out loud. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. And they may go. They, at best, Notre Dame's probably going to do this year is maybe eight and four, more likely seven and five, and that's what you're hanging your hat on—a win at Notre Dame. I mean, yeah. Texas tried I'm sorry, that. Sorry, this isn't this isn't Holtz's Notre Dame. This is Brian Kelly's Notre Dame. There's a big difference. Thanks, Tim. We'll see you down the road. You, you got it, fellas. Anytime. Uh, oh my God, he's he's prolific. He is. He's great. Uh, He's prolific. But we also had two I other great guests today. We did. But think about that, keeping up with an entire country of college football. And, and, and like, he, he, can, he, rattles off, he can rattle off coordinators. It's I bet next week, next time we have mom, we're going to ask him, we're going to talk about GAs with him. Who's the best GA? <laughs> and he'll know. We didn't get to ask him about Chip Kelly and A&M. I didn't want to get him stirred up. No, no. <laughs> but, but I'm telling you, we'll ask him about some GA at uh, yeah, you're right, East you're Central right. Oklahoma. And, and, it's amazing. And, and, and he'll know. Everything about the kid and if the, it, what potential the kid has. And, it is amazing. And where he's going to go. He likes his job. All right, so we had Tim talking college football. We had Gary Myers talking the Cowboys, NFL, and the Hall of Fame. I thought that and was interesting. Who's he, the next Cowboy to go in the Hall of Fame? I think he thinks Gil Brandt should be the next. He should be. He should be in before, before Jimmy Johnson. But there's, there's a large. I, I'm saying there should be several I, I'm Cowboys. I'm telling you, this, I've talked to several Jimmy guys, Johnson. and everybody, else, everybody has their own contributor in mind and i think gary if we talked to him long enough would say george young ahead i don't understand that uh or uh you know everybody has a favorite guy they think should be in as a contributor some gm some player yeah, personnel you know, guy. And are, but gill was the first well, well those are all good arguments i just think that, that gill changed the game he's like bob hayes gill, he changed the game and he found bob hayes and he found bob hayes yeah that's what i mean he, he when you're a when you're somebody who changes the game for the better, then, boy, you should really get – you know, it's like that, that old argument. I remember one time it came up in the, in the Texas Sports Hall of Fame. We were talking about coaches to put in. And one time somebody proposed the idea that we put R.C. Slocum, Spike Dykes, and Bill Yeoman all in together as a, as a trio, a three-headed monster. And I said, listen, I love Spike. I love R.C. Both very good coaches, uh, really good guys. Bill Yeoman invented an offense. You but, know. but Bill Yeoman was at the wrong school. The, the wrong po- school. The politi- oh no. my God! Uh, po- I can't believe you it's said that. It's a politically that. incorrect school in that argument. He's uh, Houston, Houston, Texas Tech. Houston is not A and M. 
but it's not. But Houston's Texas Tech. So and and Bill Bill, I don't you you remember plus, Bill because you're ancient and plus you covered Bill him. was one of the guys who integrated. Uh, oh, and there's Texas no football. there's no question. There's no so question. Anyway, my, my and, point, that, my and he benefited is, by that. Well, sure he did. Tr- sure tremendously. He did. But the point is, is that he changed college football, yeah. and 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 for the better. And, and so you're a Bill Yeoman guy, is what you're saying? Well, you know, yeah, I, you I, for, for yeah, for what he did. Yeah, I was. He's not one of my favorite coaches, personally. Uh, but he was. It, there's no question about that. How many people ran the Vera offense in the 70s, 80s? 90s? No, you're you're 100 right. Yeah. I, I, I I agree with you. So, but but, but, but the point go, is about go back Gil to Gil. He changed it. Hey, a lot of people say people caught up to Gil. Well, they had to catch up to him because he was so far ahead of everybody. Absolutely. Else. And that goes back to that argument about they caught up with him because he did it for so long. How long did Jimmy do it? Jimmy? Jimmy who? Jimmy no, Johnson. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. But Gil, Gil was there from the start until, until Jerry got there, basically, and he might have hung around another year he did. to getting Jerry coffee at, at, at that point because Jerry knew everything. And but Jerry's Gil's still working. He is so. I love seeing him out at events. It's and, unbelievable. And, and, and he, you, know, you say Tim Brando knows a lot of names. Gil, Gil could go on and on and on. He'll and drop on a few on you. So, but anyway, but great Jerry Fraley does not drop names. He he just drops facts. facts. And we had him on the Ranger podcast. We did. And uh, I think it's time to say goodbye to everybody. Adios. Thanks for listening to our College Ballsy podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.